Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 7th. After eight days of seemingly endless drama at the 2021 U.S. Open, we're talking over 30 men's matches that go over five sets. We're talking countless women's matches going the distance as well. Night sessions on Arthur Ashe that are routinely ending at 1, 1.32 a.m. The emerging youth movement, three teenagers into the quarterfinals in singles at the U.S. Open for the first time since 2001. We've certainly gotten our fit at the year's final Grand Slam. But of course, Day 9 felt like a bit of a reprieve from all of that drama. Of course, one match epitomized all of the storylines we've seen thus far through the week and a half in New York. That, of course, being the victory of 19-year-old Canadian Layla Fernandez. She advances to her first Grand Slam semifinal with another three-set victory over a top seed. This time it's over Alina Svitolina, 7-6 in the third. What's been so impressive about the 19-year-old, not once has she wavered throughout the course of her three consecutive three-set victories here in New York. And of course, on today's show, I want to talk about her performance. What makes her game so special? What allows Layla Fernandez to, you know, be up 5-2 in the third set, see that lead evaporate only to get through Uh, over the finish line in a third set tiebreaker for a 19-year-old. Where does Fernandez obviously go from here as well? Something I want to discuss a bit on today's show, of course. You look at our other matches. That Arena Sabalenka has so quietly advanced to the semifinals here in New York. Sabalenka doesn't do anything quietly, and yet she's been dominant. And once again, you know, took advantage of the draw. You know, this was a schedule when obviously Krejcikova comes off the match against Muguruza, uh, not in great shape physically. Sabalenka comes out today, gets the job done, straight set victory. I want to talk about my takeaways from her performance. Obviously for her, she's one match away, a win over a 19-year-old from a first Grand Slam final. Let's talk about that here on this show. On the men's side, it's going to be FAA versus Daniil Medvedev. And of course, for Medvedev, he dropped his first set of the tournament. A little bit of drama down the home stretch, but ultimately he gets over the finish line against qualifier Botik Vendesen Skulp for FAA. And this is is where the reprieve comes in. He wins his first set over teenager Carlos Alcaraz, fellow next-gen sensation, only to see Alcaraz unfortunately have to retire due to injury. You know, that was a bittersweet ending to the night, no doubt about that at the same time. Boy, did Felix look good in that first set, and 
I mean, just like that, he's into a first Grand Slam semifinal. Another first for Felix. We'll talk about the precedence he's set with this result in history. Want to talk a little bit about day 10 at the end as well, our back half of the quarterfinal matches, and so much more. Of course, before we get to any of that, I do want to remind all of you listeners that the reason we are able to do this show day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our friends, uh, our Crack Rackets Patreon family, who also are privy to a match of the day segment. Today's match of the day, Djokovic versus Berrettini, the nightcap on Ash. If you're interested in that segment or just supporting what we are doing here at Crack Rackets, we are always grateful for that. You can go find more information on our Patreon or on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, last but certainly not least, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-Point.com, best in the business, uh, lowest prices as well. You use our promo code CR15. 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. We are so grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. The symbol, not the spelling. You know that by now. You know that symbol. It's located next to the zero on my keyboard. I imagine it's similar for all of you. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into day nine. And of course, the place we have to start. 19-year-old Layla Fernandez does it again. As I mentioned, a third consecutive three-set victory over a top seed here at this U.S. Open. This time, it's a three-set victory over Alina Svitolina, 6-3-3-6-7-6, to advance to her first Grand Slam semifinal. I've mentioned it seemingly each and every time she's earned a victory like this, but you look for Fernandez's path to the U.S. Open semifinals now, just to be clear. She beats a former top 20 player who's not in her top 20 form yet, yet, but is working closer and closer to it with every passing week in, I believe, 23-year-old Anna Konya. She bring, beats a former top 20 player, a player who has been rock solid on hard courts this season in Kaya Kanepi. She then beats defending champion U.S. Uh, US Open champion Naomi Osaka in three sets. She then beats former U.S. Open champion, a player who I believe was 18-4, and four since the start of the grass court season in Angelique Kerber. Now, she knocked off a player who was on a nine-match win streak entering the event, the number five seed in New York, Alina Svitolina. You look for Layla Fernandez. It's been the steadiness she's shown in each and every one of these three decisions that ultimately gets her over the finish line, and you just see very, very similar numbers. For Fernandez against Osaka, she makes 80% of her first serves, 28 winners against 24 on. So 80% of her first serves, she's also plus four. Against Kerber, she makes 61% of her first serves, but 45 winners against 34 unforced errors. She's plus 11 to Kerber's plus six. In the match today against Svitolina, only made 55% of her first serves, but again, 42 winners against 31 unforced errors. She's plus 11 to Svitolina's plus seven. She's She's the steadier of the players in each and every match she plays. She matches the firepower of her opponents. Layla Fernandez is just, for 19 years old, you should not have this well-rounded of a game. And in the first set today against Svitolina, she just gave uh, Svitolina nothing in this match. And you look for her in that first set, 13 winners against 11 unforced errors. Now, she only made 47% of her first serves, and yet... 
Svitolina came out tentative. Svitolina came out and said, I'm going to make this match a track meet. I'm going to show off the fact that I'm, you know, 26, 27 years old. I am the established veteran. I'm ready to go the distance. I'm ready to play three hours today. I'm betting that you cannot do that after the past two matches that you've played. And right away from the start, Fernandez made her pay for that decision. Fernandez was taking the ball inside the baseline and, you know, taking her forehand up the line, changing direction so well. And what was just so clear is she was dictating the terms of engagement. Every point was played according to the script that Leila Fernandez set. And that is where you start with the strengths of her game, much like a Jensen Brooksby. And it's not in the same fashion because Brooksby, a little bit more counterpunchy Fernandez, much more so doing this on her front foot. But Leila Fernandez, incredible set of hands. She can put the ball on a dime. She can go short angles, cross court. She takes that ball early on the rise. And, you know, both her, Rada Kanu, I think Alcaraz does this extraordinarily well. Also, Felix, obviously. For all of these young players, the way, for their ability to keep their momentum moving forward when they strike the ball and just to be on balance every time they strike the ball, to do it this well at this young of an age— I just can't remember seeing that of any previous young generation. And, you know, for Fernandez, again, it's off of both wings. She has 13 winners against 11 unforced airs. Svitolina, only four winners against 11 unforced airs. You look for Svitolina, she doesn't earn a breakpoint chance in set number one. Fernandez, an efficient one of two on her breakpoint chances. She was playing plus one tennis. She was playing on her terms, and just Svitolina wasn't able to do anything, even though Fernandez was only making 47% of her first serves, and yet she wins that first set with ease, doesn't face a breakpoint chance, and is just doing such a good job changing directions with the ball, and just, you know, because this, the pace of Svitolina's ball did not phase her whatsoever. She had seen Osaka two rounds prior. She had seen Kanepi and Konya before that. And, you know, for Angelique Kerber, who plays so low and flat, she had seen that degree of physicality before. And all of these data points were quickly processed by Leila Fernandez and applied in the first set. Now, a lot of credit needs to go to Svitolina. Who will be kicking herself that she lost this match? Because, and I was going to get to it eventually, but now feels like a good moment. That backhand volley, she floated at 5-all in the third set tiebreaker. And if you haven't seen it, again, it was a 6-3-3-6-7-6 win for Fernandez. Fernandez up 5-2 in the third set before Svitolina comes racing back, makes the match, you know, gets the match to 5-all, doesn't face a match point in Fernandez's 5-4 service game and just, you know, makes the match attract me. Turns into a brick wall as she did in the first set, but made the wager, hey, with the, with the higher pressures of, you know, this third set, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to take that ball early on the rise down the line and go for such a difficult shot because, you know, again, there's a little bit more pressure now. And, you know, she was right. That calculation was correct at that stage. But then, and this, you know, and for, by the way, to her credit also for Alina Svitolina in set number two, she picked up her aggressiveness not only on her return games and, you know, again, in that second set, it was 6-3 um, for Svitolina. She just comes out a brick wall mode, but a little bit more aggressive on returns, taking them inside the baseline, taking them heavy down the line, taking the balls a little bit earlier. Ten winners for her against four unforced errors in the set. She cut the those down, but she upped her aggression again early in the rallies with her first strikes, was a little bit more willing to go down the line, not play on Fernandez's terms. Now, again, you look in this in the set, 
two breaks for Svitolina, one break for Fernandez. It was very much a toss-up sort of set. And so, um, you know, credit to Svitolina for maintaining her aggression. But then Fernandez does race out to that third set lead because she starts taking the ball a little bit earlier. And, you know, Svitolina, once the match was tied up at a set, when, you know, she's not facing the gauntlet of elimination, she got a little bit tentative again. And it's a credit to Fernandez, who even after blowing that 5-2 lead, just keeps swinging, just keeps going for it, keeps going aggressive down the line, keeps sticking to her patterns and, you know, again, says, all right, you have, you know, this match is two hours, 24 minutes. I would say it was the middle hour and a half. Svitolina had to turn into a brick wall. The moment she lost that first set and from the start of that second set and then particularly through that comeback, she made, you know, four unforced errors in set number two, 10 total in set number three. But I do wonder in set number three, how many of those unforced errors came in that third set? I'd say prob- uh, breaker, I'd say probably three of them. So she made 11 unforced errors in a set and a half, you know, two set span. That's an incredible fight from Alina Svitolina. At the same time, she just didn't have the weapons to hurt Fernandez with. And, you know, Svitolina is one of the 14 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And yet she's not top 20 in either category. It feels like you kind of need an elite weapon to hurt Fernandez with. And for Svitolina, that elite weapon is her physicality. But Fernandez was able to match it. And again, once we got to the tiebreaker, the dynamic shifted. And Fernandez raced out to an early lead because she was a bit more daring of the two players, willing to move forward to the net, willing to, you know, take the risk, go big down the line, just be the aggressor earlier in the point. Meanwhile, Svitolina was back into brick wall mode saying, I'm just going to try to outgrind you down the home stretch here. And you know, she almost did. And I also want to give some credit to Svitolina on her first serve, particularly in the set, third set. She makes 73% of her first serve points, uh, of her first serves, wins 70% of her first serve points, was 2 of 11 on second serve points. But, would, you know, fire, was down 1-4, fired an ace down the tee in that third set breaker, fired another big serve to go to, back to 3-4 in the breaker, and just, you know, again, kept fighting, kept scrapping, kept clawing, but it felt like she was always at a deficit, always in the defensive position, and that's a credit to Layla Fernandez, except for the 5-all point. And that gets us, I suppose, to the, the culmination of my point here, they play this long, physical point, and this is where Svitolina turning into brick wall mode almost manifested itself in a comeback win. I don't want to slight her here because she had the backhand volley. She counterpunched her way you know, from the outer third, found a down-the-line ball that got Fernandez stretched. Fernandez then goes to the slice. Svitolina has a backhand cross-court drive volley that if it's not— Five all six, you know, five all in a third set breaker of the U.S. Open quarterfinals. She'll hit more aggressively, and she'll likely make it ninety-seven out of one hundred times. But this was one of those three, and she got tentative, and she floated that ball because she had been in the defensive posture for the past hour and a half. And then Fernand, you know, and Fernandez gets a second look at a pass, and you can't give Layla Fernandez that second look at a pass because she is such a well-rounded game, moves so well for someone her age, and just you know, again put herself in a position to win this match, and that's exactly what she does. You look for Fernandez overall, again, win, uh, makes only 55% of her first serves, but wins 70% of her first serve points, 48% of her second serve points against a returner of Svitolina's quality. It's really not a poor performance. She, you know, saves... Uh, 
uh, or she's two of six on break points saved, but she also broke six uh, on, uh, excuse me, four of her 10 chances. Oh, excuse me. So yeah, so she created 10 chances. Svitolina only created six. They both broke four times. Again, what was the difference? Fernandez just had a little bit more pace. Her ability to take that ball early on the rise, her willingness to be a bit more aggressive, her willingness to move forward a bit more. She was 19 of 24 at the net to Svitolina's 12 of 22. Again, 42 winners to 32 winners for Fernandez, 31 unforced errors, 25 unforced errors. Uh, Fernandez, she outplayed Svitolina. This wasn't a fluke performance. Yes, Svitolina had the match on her racket, but so did Layla Fernandez. And for Layla Fernandez at 19 years old to have legitimately played Kerber, Osaka, now Svitolina all evenly and ended up in the winner's circle on all three of those occasions, special, special, special run for the 19-year-old Canadian. And by the way, and I'll get to his victory, but for Tennis Canada, who went through so much turbulence during 2020, whether it was the layoffs within their organization, the lack of a Rogers Cup, which is what it was called at the time, sorry, National Bank Open, whatever it's called, just all of the different things that happened, to have two semifinalists reach the U.S. Open, to have both of those semifinalists be 21 or under as well, how can you not be excited for Canadian tennis? How can you not feel great for all of the people who have invested so much time, so much resources, so many uh, so many resources and so much emotion into this process? I mean, for Leila Fernandez, you could see the smile on her face, just the fierceness, the competitiveness. She's the complete package from an intangible standpoint. And her game is even perhaps more impressive than that. You look for Leila Fernandez now with this semifinal. She jumps all the way to a new career high of number 36 in the live ranking. She is the uh, second highest ranked teenager now in the world behind Coco Goff. You look for her in the race to the year-end final. She's now accumulated the 31st uh, most amount of points this season. And again, has just positioned herself so, so well for the next decade of tennis, of course. That was women's semifinal number one, and it is worth mentioning for Alina Svitolina. You look for her now this season in 2021, coming off of that nine-match win streak, entering uh, that quarterfinal match. She's still 37-17 and 17 here this season. She won another WTA title. You look for Svitolina by making the quarterfinals here. Uh, she helps you know, salvage her rankings. Svitolina stays at number four in the world. You look for her in the race to the year on finals. She's 13th in terms of total points accumulated, but there are approximately uh, 200, no, 300 points separating Alina Svitolina from 7th place Garbine Muguruza. So such thin margins right now at the top of the women's game. Yes, that one will definitely sting as Svitolina looks back at this U.S. Open, but ultimately, again, you got to give all the credit in the world uh, to Leila Fernandez for reaching this round of the event. And by the way, 22nd consecutive first-time Grand Slam semifinalist at a women's uh, Grand Slam event in singles. That streak dates all the way back to the 2018 uh, Wimbledon when Julia Gurgis made the semifinals there. Since then, you've had Osaka, Sevastova, Collins, Barty, Anisimova, Vandrusova, Svitolina Striskova, Andrescu, Bencic, Kenin, Sviantek, Podoroska, Brady, Mukova, Zidancic, Pavlchenkova, Krachikova, Sakari, Sabalenka, now Leila Fernandez. It's the 75th new semifinalist since the introduction of the 32-seed system. The 2021 U.S. Open, 13th consecutive major with at least one new semifinalist in the women's singles event. 
13 consecutive majors, folks. Three straight years. We've had three and a half years. We've had, you know, at least one new semifinalist. That speaks to the parody. That speaks to the changing of the guard. We talk so much. Perhaps that stat, more than anything else, epitomizes the shift we're seeing. That's 13 consecutive majors with at least one new semifinalist. It's new names, new eras of player each and every week. A question I pose, and by the way, that stat comes from Diego Barbiani. Shout out to him. My stat of the women currently ranked in the top 30, just seven of them have not reached a slam semifinal. Here are the seven names that have yet to reach a slam semifinal in the top 30. Jabour, recent development. We could see her getting one in the next three years for sure. Coco Goff, it's when, not if. Elena Rabakina, Serena Williams Tennis Power Club, uh, Power Tennis Country Club, I'd say when, not if. And by the way, all three of those players have made quarterfinals. Kasakina's made a quarterfinal. Jess Pagula's made a quarterfinal. Paula Badosa's made a quarterfinal. Six of the seven that haven't made a semifinal have made a quarterfinal. The last one, Veronica Kudermatova. The point being the depth right now. 23 of the top 30 women have made at least one slam semifinal. Six of those other seven have made a slam quarterfinal. What are we doing here, folks? This is the golden era. It started. The roaring 20s on the WTA Tour should be super, super exciting. And again, that's the sort of company Layla Fernandez keeps now. By becoming a Grand Slam semifinalist, of course, one of the players who was chasing semifinalists in second week status at Slams for so long, Arena Sabalenka, who has made her presence in the second week feel routine here in New York, Sabalenka, another straight set victory, this time 6-1-6-4, over certainly a physically ailing Barbara Krejcikova. And, you know, that's not only a qualitative observation, but from a quantitative standpoint, 14 winners for Krejcikova against 29 unforced errors. If you've watched any of Barbara Krejcikova since her, during her 28-now-and-four stretch since the start of Strasbourg, that is not the stat you normally see from Krejcikova. She is not someone who hands bundles of unforced errors to opponents. And yet, you know, this match was... I'm not going to spend too long on this one because from an aesthetic standpoint, this was not pleasant to watch. It was very broken tennis. Barbara Krejcikova, because she knew, hey, I can't grind 5, 10, 15 shots per rally. She was going for broke early in the rally. She was going big on her serves, and you could tell she didn't have much in the leg. She made 38% of her first serves in this match. 14 winners again against 29 unforced errors. You know, she made 29 forced errors. She won 51 total points. That's not great from a ratio standpoint. And, you know, again, respectively, you could understand why. She left, She needed assistance to leave the court against Garbine Muguruza, that she was even on the court willing and able and trying her best to compete. That's a credit to the competitor that Krejcikova is. But, you know, again, she had to go for broke because, A, you know, she wasn't going to win long rallies. B, she didn't want to try, have to track down the first ball pace of Arena Sabalenka, who, when she was able to land first serves, won 76% of her first serve points. Seven of eight at the net, 22 winners against 23 unforced errors. Got the one break of serve she needed at the very start of the second set. Held serve the rest of the way. And you look for Arena Sabalenka. She fought off five of the six break points that she faced in this match. She was broken at the, you know, she broke... I think, to start the match and then got broken back for 1-2 and then went on a run in that first set and, you know, again, breaks to start the second isn't broken the rest of the way. She can hit 115. She can hit 120. She can play, you know, her forehand is such a freaking weapon now and if you leave her time to sit on that forehand, it's either going to be a winner 
or an unforced error. But it, it but I would say 75% of the time now, if you leave her a sitter on the forehand, she's hitting it for a winner. Inside out, inside in, you know, short angles. The backhand short angle's been working. Her backhand drive's been working. She's been putting so many returns in play. She's moving forward confidently. She's moving in general confidently. I don't think we talk. You know, I put uh, Sabalenka in the Tsitsipas and honestly the FAA category of fluid power movers. It's not the Medvedev, Zverev, you know, wiry sort of movement that we see from some of the best movers out there, but there's a power to their first step and just the way they get in and out of corners and the power with which they hit within corners, it's more than adequate and it's it's really, really impressive. And so again, you look for Sabalenka now here this season. I mean, a breakthrough by every metric, 43 and 14. She's winning 75% of her matches here this year. She's had career high percentages in hold percentage, in break percentage. She's one of four players to rank top 16 in both hold and break percentage. She's now made semifinals at back-to-back majors. First two semifinals for her at Grand Slams. You look for her here this season. She won that title in Abu Dhabi to start the year. She won the title in Madrid. She made semifinals at Wimbledon. She's done it on all three three surfaces now and again you look at just the number in general 43 and 14 for her against top 20 opponents this year she's now nine and seven I imagine that nine number if not number one very near the top of I think actually it'll be Barty who's 14 and whatever maybe a little bit higher now probably like 16 and two or something crazy against top 20 opponents uh Sabalenka's nine is probably you know second or third most wins against top 20 opponents this season she has been that exceptional She belongs in the conversation of the game's elite of the elite. You look for her entering this tournament. She was, I believe, number three in overall ELO. Uh, You look for her in the rankings. She's now number two in the overall rankings. Despite not having a Grand Slam title this year, she's second in the year-end points race. That's a testament to the success Sabalenka has had all season long. It's been an unequivocal step forward. And now she is the favorite to make her first Grand Slam final. Let's be clear here. And she's got a sort of power tennis that, yeah, Fernandez saw against Naomi Osaka, but Naomi Osaka at this U.S. Open is not as consistent in that power tennis as Arena Sabalenka is right now. And that's a prisoner of the moment take. That's just this U.S. Open. I think Naomi Osaka's best tennis on a hard court is still the single best tennis on any surface of any women's player in the game. But right now, the answer to that question might be Arena Sabalenka. She proved it at the start of the season. She's proving it here again in New York. And that power tennis, Fernandez just hasn't seen. You know, again, if you're 19 years old, you just had, yeah, despite her, I think she's like 22 and 15 is what I said right here in this 2021 season. You still haven't men- matched up with someone like an Arena Sabalenka because there's only one Arena Sabalenka. And you look right now via tennis abstract, Arena Sabalenka, an 80.7% favorite in that match. She's minus four. 450 in the early odds makers uh, according to the early odds makers yeah she's the favorite and if she you know she's someone who I think takes lumps to learn lessons she makes a grand slam semifinal you know really close match with Carolina Pliskova in three sets but she ends up losing that one she takes the, that, that data point back into the semifinals here gonna be fascinating to see how she competes but that's your bottom half of the draw going to be Layla Fernandez taking on Arena Sabalenka. And just the last thing on Sabalenka, you know she's only 23, right? Like, again, I hate to keep doing this, but let's play the 2030 game. In 2030, all that happens is her digits switch. She's 32. Like, 
Come on. Here's a list of players right now who are age 32 in the top 100. You've got Petra Kvitova, 31. I think that's an apt comparison for how Sabalenka may age. Kerber, 33, such a different game style. Azarenka, 32. That's an interesting one. You've got Risk and Kirstea, who are both 31. Obviously, Serena, 39. That's the exception. Shui Zhang, 32. Those are your over 30 players right now in the top 50. I don't think there's any reason Sabalenka couldn't be one of those players 10 years from now, should she want to be. And again, 23 years old into a back to, uh, consecutive slam semifinals. Brilliant performance from Arena Sabalenka to advance. But that's where things stand on the women's side to flip gears and talk about where we are at on the men's side. Uh, should be, again, a really, really good uh, event. And you look, a uh, uh, good event, good semifinal matchup. You look, no surprise to anyone, Daniil Medvedev advancing to those semifinals. But uh, for him, you know, he earns a four-set victory over Botic Venson Shkulp, ultimately 6-3, 6-love, 4-6-7-5. I was surprised to see him drop that third set. I won't lie. And you look for Medvedev overall in the set. I don't think it was anything he did poorly. I think Botic stepped up his game and he went down swinging. But you look for Medvedev over the course of the match. It was just a Medvedevian performance. Makes 66% of his first serves, wins 83% of his first serve points, 56% of his second serve points. A sneaky efficient 20 of 30 at the net, 36 winners against 24 unforced errors, 7 of 12 on breakpoint chances versus, you know, he fights off three of the five breakpoints that he faces. Average 126 feet per point. That is the biggest number by far we have mentioned here on these mini break podcasts over the course of the U.S. Open. You just, you know, Botic Bandesenskulp is a guy who moves the ball really well around the court. It's very Benoit Parrish. I know I've said this before. And just he can hit all of the angles. He can hit the slices. He can hit the drop shots. He can hit the swinging volleys. There is no shot in tennis that is forbidden to Botic Vandesenskulp, and yet there's no obvious plus-one weapon. He doesn't fire in the 130-mile-per-hour serve on average. He doesn't hit the ground strokes Mach 12, you know, in a Delpo-like slap at will. That's not him. Now, he will work in the short angles. He will work in the drop shots. But Daniil Medvedev's just on another plane right now physically. He's hit that Djokovician stage of his hardcourt career where unless you have an elite of an elite performance, you are swinging out of your derriere, you're serving like Berrettini, striking the ball from the ground like Delpo, and moving like Demon Hour. Unless you're that guy right now, or Daniil Medvedev's played, what was it, nine matches in ten days like he had entering that Cincinnati semifinal where he was still up big uh, on uh, Andre Rublev in that semifinal match, you're just, it's really freaking tough to beat him. And you look for Daniil Medvedev now, dating back to the 2019, honestly, Australian Open. He goes fourth round there, finals at the U.S. Open, and semifinals, 2019 Australian Open, semifinals, 2020 U.S. Open, finals, 2021 uh, Australian Open, now back into the semifinals, third consecutive year here in New York. You look at the company he joins by doing that. Here's the male players to reach three consecutive semifinals at the U.S. Open. Connors made 12, Djokovic made 10, Lendl and Federer made 8 consecutive, McEnroe made 5, Nadal made 4, Vilas Gerolaitis, uh, uh, excuse me, Guillermo Vilas, uh, uh, Vitas Gerolaitis, I thought that was a typo, no, it's Guillermo Vilas, there it is, Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras, Leighton Hewitt, Daniil Medvedev. All of the players on that list, even if you miss some of the names, all of the players on that list 
won a U.S. Open at some point in their career. All of them did. That's insane. That's extraordinarily impressive, uh, obviously, for uh, Daniil Medvedev to have done this. And again, you look for him, he's still just 25 years old. You know, he's entering the meat of the prime of his career. And you look for Daniil Medvedev, what he's been able to accomplish on hard courts over the past I mean, you can just go with the past 52 weeks if you want, kind of epitomize how impressive he has been. You look for him uh, during that time span. He's 58 and 14 overall. He's 46 and 7 on hard courts. He's winning 87% of his matches. He's holding serve 89.4% of the time. That number would be good for fourth. He's breaking serve 29% of the time. That good number would be good for fifth, of course. Across surfaces right now, it's just he and Djokovic who are top 10 in both hold percentage and break percentage. He's won four Masters titles on hard courts now in his career as well. And it's just the way he's coasted through these first five victories at the U.S. Open. The set against Van de that was the first set he's dropped. And that was like the Djokovic, all right, I'm up two sets to love. I just earned a bagel. I kind of fell asleep a little bit at the wheel here, but don't worry, I'm going to get it back and end up closing out the match in four. And that he closed that match out in four sets, 7-5, the way he did when Vendishin Shkulp had found his level. And was like, you know what? I'm willing to suffer. I'm just going to leave the tank on empty. I'm in the quarterfinals. I have matched my career earnings to date in one event. I'm going down swinging. Credit to him for stepping up his level, but then credit to Daniil Medvedev for not letting things get crazy, not forcing that fifth set because obviously you get to a fifth set, particularly with what we've seen at this U.S. Open, uh, anything can happen. And so you look for Daniil Medvedev. Again, it's a 6-3-6 love, 4-6-7-5 victory for him. He's, you know, we cashed in on a futures bet. He was money, you know, he was one of the locks. Him, Zverev, Djokovic, all locks, it felt like, to advance to at least the quarterfinal stage, to at the very least hold seed at this tournament. Uh, Daniil Medvedev into the semifinals, one match away, I suppose, from holding seed. And again, the four guys who entered this tournament having made the fourth round at the first three majors, Zverev, Djokovic, Berrettini, Medvedev, they all made it once again here at the 2021 U.S. Open. Just to, you know, hashtag hierarchy, uh, that new hierarchy is emerging. But again, for Vendison Schulp, impossible to feel anything but pride for the 25-year-old. You look for him here uh, with this result. 62nd now, he is in the live rankings. That means, you know, he's not playing challengers down the home stretch. He's playing the indoor 250s. He's getting, you know, he qualified at all four Grand Slams this year. He's not going to have to do that next year. He's going to get in on his own volition, get in on his ranking. That's what you're looking for. If you're Vendison Schulp, who again challenged your final earlier this season, uh, has made four semifinals, uh, you know, has won about 70% of his matches here this year, 48th in the points race as well. Super, super impressive for Vendison Schulp, but ultimately just not on the level of a Daniil Medvedev. That was your first men's semifinal. Of course, your second semifinal stopped a bit short as for Carlos Alcarez. I believe it's a right abductor injury is what he ends up retiring with. And look, 18 years old, we'll see him again in a slam quarterfinal. And he'd played five set matches back-to-back for the first time in his career in his past two matches. And, you know, it's not like his matches against Nori and Rindernesh in the first two rounds weren't physical, even if they didn't go five sets. And what was so impressive in that first set is knowing that he had that injury, how aggressive he was playing. He was on his front foot. He was taking big cuts at the ball because, you know, Felix, oh my 
goodness was Felix good in the one set or set and a half of tennis we saw in this match, swinging so freely off of both wings. And I mentioned this earlier, and that was one of my sneaky teases, I suppose, to a topic I was going to bring up here. Felix is good in the outer thirds now. Like, he's not great, but he's good now. He just Again, it's like the development we thought, saw from Tsitsipas. You thought it was a little bit of stiffness uh, for him as a mover in those outer thirds because he is such a power-centric, wanna-be-on-his-front-foot player that that fluidity in the outer thirds can sometimes be lacking, but it's getting a lot better. I like the way his on-the-run forehand look. I love the way right now he's stepping up and ripping his backhand cross-court. And just, you know, again, the amount of pressure he put on Alcaraz in this match, whether it was with his first serve, his first forehands, he, you know, hits, uh, make, wins 69, uh, 79% of his first serve points, 60% of his second serve points isn't broken in the match. And, you know, 15 winners against 16 unforced errors. He was just on his front foot. He was attacking. And look, Alcaraz... From a serving perspective, there are times when he hit aces, times when he was hitting the big first forehand as well. His ability to be on his front foot, his willingness to move forward, 6 of 8 on net points to Felix's 11 of 15, but just, again, his willingness to match that pace, particularly given the injury. That's him trying to find ways to survive, trying to find ways to compete, which from an 18-year-old is just about all you can ask for, but, you know, Felix got him. In the end, Felix was just the better of the, uh, you know, uh, in the first set. And then, you know, again, he's 18 years old. You have to think long term. You don't want to exacerbate that injury by continuing to play in the match. But I do just want to point out again, in the set of tennis we saw, the hour Felix was out there, oh my, he's just, the when he gets his feet set and decides, I am going inside and on a forehand to try and end this point, if he makes it, you lose. Now, he will miss that shot, and the consistency of that shot on any given day sometimes dictates whether he wins or loses, but oh my god. And then he hit this one inside-out forehand, which was like almost a flat inside-out forehand where, with pace, and you're just like, that geometrically, physics-wise, that's not supposed to happen, and yet just the way he is making contact with the ball right now so cleanly I think he has made uh, you know hit a jump here made another uh, hit another stage of his career with this jump 18 and 7 since the start of the grass court season fourth round for him at three of the four majors this year back-to-back quarterfinals for him now a first semi-final for Felix who becomes the first Canadian man into a Grand Slam uh, semi-final at the U.S. Open first man uh, born in the 2000s to reach a Grand Slam semifinal uh, as well, which again, it's just a season. It's another list on the list of firsts. He was, you know, one of the second youngest ever to win multiple challenger titles. He was, I think, youngest ever to win an ATP, or right in that conversation, youngest since Rafa to win an ATP match and, you know, all of these different things now. Youngest since Delpo, uh, I think, or maybe that was Alcaraz, youngest since Delpo to make the quarterfinals at the US Open. That definitely was Alcaraz. But, you know, again, for Felix, he's 21 years old and I did this segment uh, for our Crack Rackets Patreon family but I just want to remind people because obviously Carlos Alcaraz 18 years old 23 and 14 now 62% win percentage in ATP level matches he's got one ATP title three semifinals four quarterfinals four challenger titles live ranking of number 38 he's 10 and 6 now 10 and 7 against the top 50 Felix at that age 57% win percentage he had 37 wins to Alcaraz's 23 Three ATP finals to Alcaraz's one. Now, no titles, but he also made five semifinals, seven quarterfinals, so all numbers greater than Alcaraz still, albeit with six more months. But 
you know, again, four challenger titles. Highest ranking was number 21. He had 16 wins over top 50 opponents. What I'm trying to say is that Alcaraz and Felix are on very similar paths. So all of the excitement you're feeling for Carlos Alcaraz, just remember that was Felix three years ago, and he's still only 21 years old. Just turned 21 as well. Now into a first slam semifinal. He's earned it. Again, it, it's been slow and steady, but for him, four years of growth on the break percentage, it's a career high this season. Four years of growth on the hold percentage, it's a career high this season. Now, it's not a gaudy top 10 number on either wing yet, but the first serve when it's landing can be elite. And the reason those numbers aren't in the top 10 number uh, is because of his consistency. He's just, he doesn't bring, he doesn't have that A game 100% of the time now. Now, he's up to 85 and in the primetime moments, I think he's now 8-4 and four against top 20 opponents this season. Felix has brought his best stuff. It's finding that best week in, week out, day in, day out. That will make the difference between him being world number one or him being a top 15 guy. But honestly, with the development we've seen in this you know, past six months, I think that floor is now top 15. That serve, that forehand as a weapon, too, too special. And again, physically, he continues to get more and more fluid, more powerful and quicker as a mover. And so dangerous, dangerous prospects for the rest of the men's game. Felix Ogier, Ali Asim into a first slam semifinal where now again, he matches up with Daniil Medvedev. And for those of you curious right now, Medvedev, an 87.2 favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, a minus 650. 50 favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings. Of course, that's a day 11 match. Before we get to that, we have day 10, the back half of our quarterfinals where I want to end today's show. It's obviously first time matchup uh, between uh, Emirata Kanu, Belinda Bencic. Bencic, an 82.2% favorite in that match. You look at the odds, I believe she's minus 160. Now, I made the full case for Bencic over Radakanu on our GSP Aces of the Day. I previewed, I think, all four of the matches. So I suppose if you're looking for the extensive preview content, head over there. But again, I'll read these numbers for you quickly. You look for Karolina Pliskova. She is a slight money line favorite tomorrow as well. Minus 130 over Maria Sakari. Tennis Abstract also lists her the favorite. 52.5%. So those odds, you know, properly reflecting of the analytics. Uh, of course, you look for Pliskova. Sakari, one in one in their career head-to-heads. Pliskova beat her in Rome 20 2019, Sakari beat Pliskova, Rome 2018. They've never played on hard courts. Pliskova, I believe, 19 and 4 now uh, since the start of Wimbledon. You look for Sakari. She's currently eighth right now in the race, uh, in the points race. I mean, these are two top 10 players battling for a spot in a slam semifinal who both see the opening. There are no slam champions left in the women's singles draw with the elimination of Barbara Krejcikova, guaranteeing us another first-time slam champion here in New York. This is We talked about it at the start of the season. I did a full segment on it. You can go back if you want to to the GSP preview content. This is the Pliskova window. This these next you know this year next year before in Osaka a Barty a Sabalenka Sviantek one of those many young names really establishes themselves at the top of the game. While there's inconsistencies, there's opportunities, and Karolina Pliskova capitalized on that opportunity, making the finals at Wimbledon. There's no Barty in her pathway now. She's got absolutely a shot at this Grand Slam title, so that is going to be a fat. And by the way, ditto for Sakari, who can tell herself in the mirror and say, I should have beaten Krejcikova and probably won 
that 2021 French Open title. So those are your women's matches. On the men's side, our Crack Rackets Patreon match of the day, Matteo Berrettini taking on Novak Djokovic in the nightcap on Arthur Ashe. Djokovic beat Berrettini in four sets in the Wimbledon final, four sets in the French Open uh, quarterfinal. Uh, you look for Berrettini. He withdrew before playing Tsitsipas in the round of 16 in Australia. His two actual losses at slams this season, both to Novak Djokovic pretty good season you're having when you've made you know fourth round quarterfinals finals quarterfinals and the only guy to beat you at a slam is Novak Djokovic he's 38 and 7 this season I believe 24 and 2 against top 30 uh, against opponents outside the top 30 has just cleaned up against who he should be cleaning up against um, and, you know I believe six of his eight losses are to Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev or Djokovic yeah, that's a damn good season for Matteo Bertini, who served forehand our elite. And if you don't have an elite defensive skill set, you are an elite returner, he's going to beat you now. I've watched Novak Djokovic pinpoint his backhand location, you know, with such ease, uh, uh, with pinpoint accuracy. Find the backhand location, pinpoint accuracy. There it is, with such ease in both of those Grand Slam matches. Djokovic has history in his sight. I think this is where he turns it up. But again, full preview for that for our Crack Rackets Patreon members. Of course, Alex Zverev, 2-0 in his career against Lloyd Harris, beat him in straight sets two weeks ago at the Western Southern Open. Uh, you look for Zverev, 15-0. Since the start, as I mentioned, since the start of the Olympics, he would be, you know, with his numbers, fifth in hold percentage, first in first serve win percentage, first in break percentage over that stretch of time. He's 24 and 5 on hard courts this season, defending finalist at the Australian Open. I just think he's a better version of everything Lloyd Harris tries to do. Lloyd Harris 19 and 9 against top 50 opponents this year on hard courts. He's up to number 36, I believe, in the live rankings. He's been exceptional. It's been a breakthrough season for Lloyd Harris at the same time. And he epitomizes your modern tennis player. 6-5, 6-6, easy pace on the serve, fluid off of both ground strokes, fluid as a mover as well, comfortable moving forward, but Zverev's just better at all of those things than Lloyd Harris is, so I expect Zverev to advance. With that said, again, should be a really fun day 10, and of course, we will be back tomorrow recapping all of that action picks each and every early evening on our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find all of that content on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, that show, uh, and our Cracked Interviews podcast if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of any job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for super producers, Fleekner and Westoff, for our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy the tennis, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 